0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus
1: Entertainment. Hello there and welcome again to the Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for the hour. If you can spare the hour, you're going to learn a lot for sure. Our good man, Martin Williams is here. He is the uh, lawyer that's going to uh, make you that much smarter. You can reach out to Martin and his team anytime at the firm, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca is the way you want to, uh, to navigate that anytime. want to get to a bunch of emails in just a moment here, Martin, but uh, our main topic heading into this right off the top, things to consider when returning to work after being on LTD. This is something that people kind of future-proof themselves for because they don't often think about this when they're in the thick of it, but uh, it's a good topic to bring on the show uh, for today, for sure. Number one, uh, if it is a a gradual return to work plan, did your doctor sign off on it? Break that down for me.
2: Thanks, John. Yeah, this is an important one to discuss because often uh, people end up trying to go back to work or think they want to go back to work and what does that mean? How does it affect things? So our first um, point here, as you say, is if it is a gradual return to work, plan, did your doctor sign off on it? The reason why I want to speak about this one is sometimes, and we get questions like this on a weekly basis, it may be that the person who is on claim finds that they may have some improvement and they're starting to think about going back to work. Or it may be that the insurance company takes the position that the person should now go back to work because they believe that the person has improved to some extent, that they at least can try a graduated return to work plan. What I mean by saying, did your doctor sign off on it? It's important because your doctor and you have a good relationship, right? There's a doctor-patient relationship. The doctor sees you on an ongoing basis as things progress or worsen. And if there's discussion about a graduated return to work plan, it is very important to have your doctor's input. Your doctor may say, I disagree with the plan that is being proposed because of X, Y, and Z. It may be that the doctor thinks if you do go back to work it may be a bit premature or if you went back to work that there should be specific accommodations put in place. For example, some people may have a chronic pain issue where they need to work limited amount of hours and take frequent breaks and do light duties or it may be that there's a mental health component or a fatigue component where the duties should be limited, not stressful there should be accommodations in place, so if you do think about engaging in a graduated return to work plan, or if the insurance company is mandating that you have to go back to work, have the discussion with your doctor. That is the most important thing. Discuss with your doctor what is being proposed, because what would often happen is the insurance company should, they don't always do this, but they should, send the graduate return to work plan to the doctor and then say, do you support this plan? Because it may be we're going to start off the first week doing two-hour shifts three days a week and then in week two we're going to increase it. When insurers do this, those plans always end up with a full return to work after a certain period of time and that is what you want your doctor to look at. Maybe there should be some changes made to the plan, maybe it should be extended for a longer period of time. And maybe it should not be as aggressive as it may be at the beginning. But the point is, get your doctor's input. And if the doctor does not agree with the graduated return to work plan, communicate that to the insurance company, but also provide the reasons why the doctor doesn't agree. Mm -hmm. We, We will look at the policy, the denial letter, what is being proposed by the insurance company, and what your doctor's position. And of course, your position is on that as well. And then provide you with... Some advice as to what your options are so you can make an informed opinion as they are to proceed. But again, point is, make sure that you are in touch with your doctor, see the doctor regularly and have the discussion with the doctor about the graduated return to work plan. If it is approved, then sure, you can try it and see how it goes.
1: Again, as Martin says, reach out to them, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 821 5900 talking about things to consider when returning to work after being on long-term disability. Number two, make sure you continue to see your doctor regularly when you start that uh, plan and report to the doctor if you're having uh, symptoms that are worsening as you progress, right?
2: Definitely. And again, this one is also extremely important. Once you've started this graduated return to work plan, it obviously is and almost always is something that has been recommended by the insurance company. So they're expecting that they have some evidence or they've decided that as you do this, you should be, they sometimes call it a work hardening program as well, that you should become hardened and be able to carry on performing those duties on a more frequent basis to the point that you're no longer disabled within the meaning of the policy. But the opposite many times will happen. What that means is a person may start out with a graduated return to work program. It may be that they manage to increase the hours a little bit and then symptoms come back and they increase. And this is where it is key that you see your doctor on a regular basis and make sure that you report to your doctor if there is a worsening in your symptoms. The reason why I say that is the insurance company may still deny your claim even if that happens because they will say our expectation is That you should be able to work and if you've seen your doctor during this period that you've engaged in this program and reported to the doctor how things are progressing if you continue to experience symptoms if they worsen or if you have new symptoms and it all is due to this engagement in this plan in other words doing the duties at work which is, uh, would be what is causing the worsening the doctor will be in a position to note that in the clinical records and if your claim were to be denied or if you finally stopped the graduated return to work because it was worsening your condition and you were not getting better the doctor will be in a position to you know support your decision or support that the doctor said you should stop uh, following through with the graduated return to a program all of that is very important so that when you report back to the insurance company Your doctor will be behind you supporting what has happened and why it was necessary to stop performing the duties or going back to work or even, you know, just maintaining the hours that you have at that time. So, again, key to see the doctor during that period.
1: Number three, as we worked on a list of things to do after returning to work and being on LTD, make sure you understand the provisions of the policy when you return to work. As a policy may have recurrence provisions, I know you'll break that down, rehab provisions and possibly partial disability provisions. Go through all
2: three of those for me, Phil. We always think about policies being contracts, right? And they don't all look the same, so some policies may have more favorable terms than other ones. So the first one that I will speak about is partial disability provisions. That is where a policy, and you often have this with individual policies, in other words, something that you as a professional person or a self-employed person went out to buy, it may have partial disability provisions, which mean that you may be able to do some of your duties for a certain period of time, but you're disabled from working in a, on a full-time basis. So those provisions are key when you have a group policy, it may say that you can also be paid a benefit for a period of time if you are able to work on a partial basis. In other words, you cannot work full time, but you can do a few hours. You want to look at the policy. What does it provide? Some policies may also say that partial disability provisions, if it does have that provision in it, is limited to the first two years of working in your own occupation. So we would want to know what does the policy say. The other one to discuss here is the recurrence provision. Basically all group policies have this and the reason why this is important and I'll try and break it down step by step. If you go off work totally because of your disability then you start to work on a graduated return to work program and you transition to full time. If you go off work again and most of them will have the, f- the recurrence provision to be six months so if you go off work again within the first six months due to the same condition that initially led to your disability the policies may provide that your claim will then reoccur or recur because it means that it's not a new claim you don't have to satisfy the waiting period again benefits should just resume so be careful when you do a graduated return to a program that you know what these provisions are if it is that you've worked full-time now for a period of time you've pushed yourself and you go off work after a week month seven or month eight then it may be deemed to be a new claim and you have to satisfy all those terms all over again the other one is rehab provisions that is a very important one when it gets to looking at a graduated return to work plan how this works is as follows the insurance company may suggest that you do a graduated return to work plan and they will do that as part of their rehab provisions in their policy. They may have provided you with some treatment or paid for some treatment through somebody that they may have chosen be it a kinesiologist or a physiotherapist or do some cognitive behavioral therapy with a psychologist. At the end of that program they may say okay well now you go do this graduated return to a program. The insurance companies will say that they're prepared to top your benefit up. So there are specific calculations that are in place to see how much they will top you up Mm -hmm. while you engage in this program. But the reason they are doing this is because the expectation is that you're going to get back to work full time. So it's a cost benefit to them to have you engage in this program and to get you back to work sooner so that you're not this ongoing liability to them. It is very important to understand what these provisions provide for and that you understand how it may impact your claim should you continue to work on a graduated basis and are there partial disability provisions? Are there recurrence provisions? And how do they impact you if you carry on with a graduated return to work plan longer than a specific period, for example, the six months. So again, we are there to help assess what the policies mean. If you have questions, you really need a copy of your policy. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I would suggest if anybody is engaged in this program, if any insurance, if anybody has a claim that is being cut off because of what we've just discussed, reach out to us so we can review it with you.
1: Oh, you're going to need some help for sure, and it all starts with a simple phone call. The phone call, by the way, the initial contact of Martin and his team won't cost you anything, but, man, it could be an absolute lifesaver and uh, save you a lot of stress going forward for sure. How do you do it? One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred 821 5900 or email help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. More of the Disability Law Show is coming up.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
1: And welcome back. Disability Law Show is where you've landed. Good to have you along. If you're here for the entire hour, you're always guaranteed to uh, to learn lots. If you have a friend, family, colleague that's uh, dealing with a long-term disability insurer, that could be a fun road to navigate for sure. But there is help out there. Simple as a phone call to Martin Willems and his team. At uh, Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP. That's uh, who's hosting the show with me, of course, every week. 1 855 821 5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. We've been going through a a really cool list that you put together, Martin, of things to consider when returning to work after uh, after being on LTD. Down to number four, and it goes like this If you struggle to progress and your capacity remains limited to a certain amount of workable hours, you want to make sure you review the schedule of benefits in the policy. That policy is key. The of benefits will detail how many hours a week you need to work to maintain that coverage, right?
2: This is important because I, I, I often say don't work yourself out of a claim. That yeah. doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to work, right? That's fine. You, you, and you should. You should try to work within your capacity. But I have seen cases and very, very sad circumstances where somebody may have a condition they go off work, but they push themselves and they get back to work and they continue to work for a period of time. I can think of one where the person worked for one year and then just couldn't do it anymore. What they mm-hmm. did is they went back to work, they worked a minimum amount of hours, maybe 15 hours a week, carried on with that schedule. The claim had been denied, right? Because the insurance company is saying, no, no you, you're back at work now. And the person carried on with that schedule would go home and rest and sleep, but still push themselves to the point that their condition continued to worsen and they then stopped working entirely. Then they wanted to submit a new claim. The insurance company said, Uh uh-uh, uh, you don't have enough hours to satisfy what we need as a minimum to qualify you for coverage under the policy. What that means is many, many policies, most of them, with it a, a group insurer will provide that in order to have coverage there's a difference between coverage and being paid benefits right coverage is the amount of hours that you need to work as a minimum to have group benefits which includes long-term disability coverage and it may be 20 hours a week so if you work 15 hours you're not working enough hours to maintain coverage to have coverage to make a claim if you were to get sick so that's what happened here this person worked below the minimum threshold hours for a year and then couldn't work anymore and then wanted to make a claim but unfortunately it couldn't be done because they had literally worked for a long period at that minimum range where they probably should not have done that at all because their condition continued to worsen the doctor was concerned throughout But they try to be the trooper, right? Work as hard as I can. I don't want to be one of those people, they think. But they should have. Because unfortunately, when you're unable to work and you carry on doing things like that, chances that your condition is going to worsen, increase. And then if that happens, there was nothing to do now because this person was out of luck, unfortunately. It's not the only one that I can think of. I've had a number of cases like that. Doesn't mean that there is nothing that can be done. We sometimes do find an angle, and believe me, we try. So in a situation like this, if you were to find that you go off work and then go back and go off again, and the insurance company says you don't have enough hours, also reach out to us because we deal with this on a regular basis. And we can look at whether there is any avenue to present an arguable claim.
1: How does that sound? Detailed enough for you. Again, reach out to Martin anytime with uh, with those questions. And I uh, want to get into, uh, I guess, our first email of the show. Here it comes. Martin says, guys, I uh, went off work because I developed a severe adjustment disorder. According to my doctor, I had a new director at work who told me my performance was poor after I crit- uh, criticized communication styles at the company. I've always received perfect performance reviews and my bonuses because of my performance. I couldn't focus or concentrate anymore and my doctor booked me off work. While away from work, my mental health improved. However, I have a progressive back problem which worsened to the extent that I now need surgery and I'm in chronic pain. I cannot sit, stand, or walk for long periods, and the pain affects my concentration and focus. I take strong pain medications, which make make me drowsy. I have a safety-sensitive position and cannot see myself doing my duties. The insurer denied my claim, saying that my mental health has improved, so I should be able to work. Does my back problem not get considered? I work in the oil fields in Alberta. Wow, there you go, Martin. What do you think?
2: You know, you see this area now and again where somebody goes off work because of a specific reason, because of a medical condition, and while away from work, something else may happen. It may be that the person is in an accident and now has another disability, or it may be that, like in this case, the person does have a back problem, which continues to worsen to the extent that during this time frame that they have been off work, they continue to be able to perform their duties while still there at work, but then it continued to worsen and that is now the reason why they cannot go back to work. So I've seen this before and this question comes up every now and again, but why are they not looking at this condition? So the insurance company, for example, may have one of their health partners, in other words, one of their own doctors, in-house doctors, review a claim and the doctor may say, well, I can comment on the psychiatric or psychological component, but I cannot comment on the physical component. And then if the doctor says, but from the psychiatric component or psychological component, it looks like there's improvement. So based on that, I don't believe that the person continues to be disabled. And then the denial follows. But they never looked at the other thing that has now happened, meaning the back problem, which is, from what I'm reading here, significant. It's to the point that this, uh, this person requires surgery. So obviously there's a significant concern there. That should be considered is the short answer. Of course it should be considered. When you look at a disability claim, I always say this, diagnosis is important, but restrictions and limitations are the most important things that you have to look at. What is the functional impairment? Why can the person not work? And in this case, their mental health from before prevented them from focusing and concentrating on work. That's understandable. That improved. But now there's a chronic pain situation to the point that it affects their sleep and also when you have a lot of pain of course logically is going to affect your ability to concentrate and focus so that should be a major consideration and it seems that that was not considered which in my mind means that the insurance company did not do their due diligence here they did not assess the claim in a proper way as they should have i assume that the information that this regarding the back problem has been i mean i cannot see how it wouldn't have been communicated to the insurance company and it was simply ignored. And if that is a claim case, then you may have not just a claim for your own benefits, but also potentially a claim for damages because of the way that the insurance company adjudicated this claim Mm -hmm. and now not having benefits is going to create further stress, mental distress, financial distress. And that should not be happening. If the insurance company did their job and looked at all the conditions and now those conditions globally affect this business ability to perform their duties, this claim would have been approved. I see this often, right, where insurance companies deny a claim which legitimately should have been approved, the person then suffers financially, they suffer other types of issues as well, right, because when you've got finances, you've got stress, stress is never a good thing for any medical condition and their condition worsens. And we can pursue claims on that basis but also look at what are the consequences of the denial should the insurance company be punished because there's case law out there that deals with those types of things they're called mental distress damages or punitive damages obviously it is a case-by-case analysis but these days there is more discussion about that because some cases have gone to trial where we want to look at the specific circumstance of each case and insurance companies are also aware of these decisions these days
1: well, it's interesting, too, because you, know, you mentioned case evidence and you know case by case, but this particular person, by the way, you guys do work in Alberta as well. Um, I mean, they, they've come about with these problems, these chronic problems, and they work in the oil fields. Not the first person to work in an oil field in Alberta. So they don't tell me that the insurance company hasn't gone down this road before and for sure of they've course. had to pay up, right?
2: Of course. And, and you know, when, when the person says they work in an oil field, and it, it sounds like it's a fairly labor-intensive job. must be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um insurance company would know that, they would know yeah. that. And yeah, right. It's not somebody who says, I have a back pain, they do an MRI and they cannot see where the problem lies. The, this person, and it would be a neurosurgeon, who would be performing the surgery. Clearly there has been imaging done, clearly this has been communicated to the insurer. If it's that bad, that severe, that surgery is required, how can you not, how can you not understand that this person has significant pain to the extent that they won't be able to work?
1: Let's get on to another email. By the way, you send yours along anytime as well. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Says, "Uh, Martin, I applied for critical illness insurance through a private plan. I live in BC. I purchased the insurance 17 years ago as it was offered to me when I purchased life insurance. I was diagnosed with MS in March of this year. I submitted a claim and the insurer sent me a denial this week stating that my MS is pre-existing or that I somehow was seeing a doctor for it at the time when I purchased the insurance. I've been trying to think back to that time. I remember that I had issues with my eyes, blurred vision, and uh, saw a doctor, but it went away. I was never diagnosed with MS until now. I cannot understand how this claim can be denied. Not only was it denied, but the insurer canceled my policy and refunded my premiums. How would you advise I proceed with this mess?"
2: Okay, well, great question. First things first. We have in BC an Insurance Act like in Alberta there is an Insurance Act and the Insurance Act provides when you're dealing with cases like this when somebody applies for coverage and the coverage is given to them by the insurance company and they then go off work or they then make a claim whatever it is within the first two years of having coverage. The insurance company can go back and look at whether the person When they were completing their medical history questionnaire whether they did not properly disclose information that would have made the insurance company not approve the coverage. In other words was there some misrepresentation made. If it is within the first two years then the insurance company can look at whether it was material to their decision. In other words even if the person may have forgotten something to mention in that questionnaire if the insurance company had known about it would they still have issued that coverage. And if the question is no then it's unfortunate but if it is beyond two years like in this case this person had had coverage for 17 years it's a long time now that test is much different the insurance company must now prove that when this person applied for coverage 17 years ago they made what is called a fraudulent misrepresentation they committed fraud basically they were willfully blind they withheld information deliberately from the insurance company in order to get the coverage approved. Looking at these particular circumstances, it depends on what those questions were. Like if there was blurry vision, the person might not have th- thought anything about it, right? It's not just did you forget to mention something because that's not fraud. Was it that you understood the question? Was it that you deliberately withheld information? That becomes more concerning. But in a case like this, you may definitely have a claim here. MS. And the vast majority of policies for critical illness is recognized as a critical illness. It depends though in this case, like in many of them, why is it being denied? The insurance company has canceled the policy and refunded the premiums because they are taking the position that this was a fraudulent misrepresentation. And just looking at these facts, obviously you want to know more about it, I would strongly disagree. So how can you proceed? come to us. We'll look at the exact circumstances at the policy, the clinical records, and we'll advise you of your options. And it may very well be that we decide with you to pursue a legal claim where we will make the insurance company pay and we'll consider what to do with those premiums that were being refunded.
1: Great email. Thanks for it. And we'll continue with lots more of those on the other side of this uh, this short break. So uh, stay tuned and stay uh, stay in touch. Write in those emails, help at disabilityrights.ca and the number 1-855-821-5900. By the way, if you want short, concise answers about anything under this uh, this topic of you know long-term disability, there is a website that makes it simple. It's called ltdfaq.com. You can use that whenever you like as well. Okay, back to more emails after a short break, Martin, which we'll take now and continue with more of the Disability Law Show. Stand by.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies
1: of Chorus Entertainment. You bet. Disability Law Show. We got more to go. Not done yet. More email to get through. Send them along anytime. It might appear in a future show, if not for the remainder of uh, today's show. It is help at disabilityrights.ca to reach out to Martin via phone. Always uh, encouraged to do so. It won't cost you anything. You can have your own chat in your own time. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Okay, let me scroll down here, pal. Next email. Guys, uh, am I entitled to compensation for injuries at work? I've been uh, in physio for almost a year and returning to work with modified duties. My injury is with me for life. What do you think, Martin?
2: It's an interesting question. So if it is relating to a WorkSafe claim, our firm does not handle that, but you should look into that. If the Because it sounds like the injury happened while performing mm-hmm. duties at work. So pursue a WorkSafe claim there and speak to the employer as they are to submit that. Um, But also, this person has been away for almost a year and is returning to work with modified duties, mentioning that the injury will be with them for life. I spoke about this in our previous show. You have to be careful here, because if it is due to a workplace injury, I'll just repeat it briefly, um, you must submit the claim to WorkSafe. But you should also, if you have coverage through your employer, You should also submit a claim to the insurance company. They very likely will say, if they were to approve the claim, that they're not going to pay you anything at this time because WorkSafe may be paying your wages. But if WorkSafe at some point, and it's probably going to happen here because you're going back to work. If WorkSafe denies your claim, the insurance company then becomes liable to pay that claim. And if you never submitted the claim because you thought WorkSafe is paying it, The insurance company may say, well, you're out of time now. You should have submitted the claim within a certain period of time. So if you have a claim that is due to a workplace injury or accident, submit a claim to WorkSafe, but also you must, regardless of what your employer tells you, you must submit a claim to the LTD insurer to protect yourself within timelines. Also, if the insurance company were to deny your claim, but you continue to be paid by WorkSafe, there are certain timelines that continue to run you want to speak with us so we can advise you because there's a two-year timeline to pursue a legal claim and if you continue to be paid by WorkSafe you're going to be thinking well there's nothing I can do you don't want to miss that timeline so if your claim is denied reach out to us
1: Okay, moving on down. Email says, and there's a bunch of questions to follow up in this one, so we'll uh, work our way through so them. since guys have been on LTD since uh, January 2021. In January 2023, two years later, I was approved to continue benefits past that two-year mark under the change of definition. The insurer has instructed that I apply for CPP, a Canadian pension plan disability, which I have done. I'm still waiting uh, for a response from the CPP. I'm on leave for major depression, anxiety, childhood PTSD, and rheumatoid arthritis. I have been employed at the same firm for 31 years and have never had a claim before, Number one, based on that email, what should I expect if CPP denies my application for CPPD? Is it likely that the insurer will discontinue my claim? Let's handle that first, Martin, what do you think?
2: If this happens, if your claim is denied, so Service Canada adjudicates these claims. Right. If it is denied by Service Canada, the insurance company very, excuse me, very likely may say to you that you should appeal that decision. You probably should appeal that decision. Is it likely that the insurance company will discontinue your claim it's possible because these things do happen Um, the definition for CPP disability benefits would be you must have an illness or a condition that is both number one severe number two prolonged and number Mm -hmm. three preventing you from engaging in any gainful occupation so it's it it, it has to be severe and has to be ongoing clearly and you cannot work in any other occupation similar often to what is stated in the any occupation phase in your policy. So the insurer may look at this and say, well, they denied your claim, uh, so we may do the same thing, but they won't do it necessarily on that basis. They may find another way and say, we've looked at it, and we don't think that you're disabled, even though they've already done that. So in your situation, I think if they've already approved you, beyond the change of definition in other words they're accepting that you cannot work in another occupation and if cpp were to deny your claim the insurance company has a duty to independently and reasonably and fairly adjudicate your claim and if nothing else has changed in your medical condition and they deny you because cpp denied your claim i think that opens the door for a damages claim as well so if that were to happen reach out to us
1: question number two based on that email since i've been under the change of definition i no longer have an assigned adjudicator is this a normal practice why have they not assigned one
2: i think that is a very strange situation um you should have a case manager in place maybe there's some form of a transition happening that is going from one person to another person i have seen many cases i think basically everybody who has an ltd exam probably experiences this that there is almost a revolving door case managers Mm -hmm. Keep changing. So that may be what is happening here. Is it normal to not have an adjudicator? No, it's not. There should be one in place, and I'm sure they will assign one.
1: Third question based on that email uh, can I request a copy of the information that the insurer has provided to my employer?
2: Or should they You help? can, yes, you can request a copy of your entire claims file. So maybe you want to consider doing that under the Freedom of Information Act. You're entitled to get a copy of your claims file. So if you're considering getting the information that the insurer has provided to your employer, you may just want to request the entire file.
1: And finally, how often should I expect to be contacted by the insurer in the future? You know,
2: (laughs) that's a question that comes up regularly. Um, Some people find that the insurance company puts them under what is called a p- more permanent LTD claim. I think that's right. an internal decision <laughs> and all that means is that they may just get updates from you or your doctor every once in a while, maybe once or twice a year, where others may have three month period where the insurance company reaches out to them. Right. Uh, again, I have seen cases where the person was under what I described before, they would get updates every yeah, Just once a year there would be a form going to the doctor. A new case manager comes into play and that person decides to take a different approach and I've seen some of these cases end up being denied on the basis that, oh we don't think it's permanent anymore, we now think that you go back to work. So you can never know. Going back to this question, how often should I be expected to be contacted? I don't know. Um, Maybe every three months, maybe every four months. If it does get to a point of it being harassing, you want to reach out to us. But it seems, at least at this point, that nobody's going to be contacting you for at least (laughs) the the very near future because it seems that there's no adjudicator assigned, which doesn't make sense.
1: And with that, we'll take a break. Got a few more minutes to go, so we'll try to get through some more email. Thank you so much in advance for sending them along and providing us lots of good stuff to talk about, questions answered. Help at disabilityrights.ca is that email address and the phone number anytime, one 855 821 5,900, we continue after break with lots more of the Disability Law Show. Hang in there. You're listening to
0: a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
1: Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Got some more time here. A lengthy email. So uh, so talk in, buddy. Here we go. We'll get to this one. Martin says, guys, I've been on LTD since March 2021 due to depression, generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and agoraphobia. During the COVID lockdowns, I uh, took up a hobby, sewing, which is now a huge coping mechanism for me. A year prior to going off work on LTD, I created a website and social media pages where I have my items displayed and available to be purchased too. This by no means is a functioning business or registered business, just a hobby. I created this to help sustain my hobby as as fabric and website fees are expensive. My sister and husband uh, thought it would be a good idea to uh, do some in-person craft markets since I have an abundance of sewn goods and try to recoup some money that we've spent uh, into my hobby. I'm unable to participate in these markets because of my disabilities. I also add uh, that any of these activities are done during the evenings or weekends. I've recently been contacted by my LTD insurance provider's fraud management department telling me my file had been flagged for a disability claim quality audit. They were questioning me all about all of this, asking all sorts of questions, and they seem to think it's an income-generating business. I've been asked to supply business and tax records. This has caused me so much distress, I actually had a panic attack while on the phone with them. And I'm worried that my claim will be cut off or they'll expect me to pay them back. I have no idea why all this has suddenly happened, but I'm thinking that I'm being targeted since i refused their return to work plan and I wasn't ready, which my doctor agreed and still not ready to do so. They're now trying to find a way to cut my claim off. I don't feel I've done anything fraudulent, but need some expert advice from you, Martin, on my situation. Hope you can help. Many
2: thanks. Wow. Well, uh, I'd love to say that I haven't seen similar circumstances before, but I have. Mm -hmm. So when you have a disability claim, you have to prevent evidence that you cannot perform the duties of your own occupation. So that's the first thing, and that's key to what we're discussing here. I don't know what this person's occupation would have been and what the duties would have been. As a hobby, because... it's a mental health disorder and it sounds like it is there's agoraphobia generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder and depression the doctors may say do something that occupies your mind do something that gives you joy do something don't just sit at your home try and do something and getting involved in the sewing business well it's not sewing business but doing sewing as a hobby that may provide this person some purpose right it may give them something to do something to look forward to during the day Does that mean that they can then go back to whatever job they had? No, it doesn't mean that. It obviously depends on what the exact circumstances are here. If you're making income though, and we speak about this regularly, there are certain offsets under a policy. Um, We want to look at what are those offsets and if it is being done as a business, which it sounds like it isn't. But if you're making income from doing something else, the insurance company may say, if our policy provides that if you work for wage or profit under any circumstances that your benefits may terminate. So we have to be very careful as to how to proceed here. What I understand from reading this email is that there is no money being made. It is a hobby. They're selling something just to get back the to pay for the I suppose the equipment and the the material. But be careful to anybody out there as to what it is that you put out online. I've seen people create websites where it's normally seen as some form of puffery. In other words, you're trying to present a certain image when there is this well functioning business when clearly it is not. It's just one person trying to get along. You have to be careful because insurance companies often will look at that. Now, of course, if this had been a different circumstance where the person is actually working, this is now their new job doing this on a regular basis, selling things and making a profit. That would be a different discussion. Because then it is you are at risk of your claim being terminated. Whereas here, you're following through what your doctor has advised you to do. You're engaging in something that gives you some joy in your life, considering that you have a significant, not just one, significant mental health disorders. So be careful as they are to proceed, but reach out to us and we can at least have a discussion with you as to what should be provided to the insurance company and what support you may need. Make sure that the doctor is on board with this as well. Sounds like the doctor is, but if it is giving you panic attacks, make sure you report that to the doctor as well. And maybe the doctor can also weigh in here. You have to be in a situation like this. It's very, very scary. I get it because totally. now you're being confronted with somebody yeah. saying you're committing fraud. Mm-hmm. You haven't been honest with us. We're going to terminate your claim and maybe we're going to co- come after you as well for the money with respect to the money that we've paid you, which clearly is not what should be happening here. So reach out to us and we'll assist you with it.
1: Another one here says, Martin, uh, my doctor says I can't return to work, but an independent doctor says I can. I still feel symptoms and I know I can't return to work yet. What do I do? Well...
2: I always say, follow your doctor's advice. See your doctor regularly. You saw one doctor who apparently is deemed to be independent. I don't know what exactly that means. Is that it's Did you go see a doctor paid for by the insurance company? So I have questions about that. Or is it a doctor who works for the insurance company who gave some opinion? If it is the first one, that doctor probably only saw you for 30 minutes or maybe an hour. Your own doctor, though, sees you on a regular basis. Your own doctor should be... The person who they should listen to because your own doctor is a person who can provide an informed opinion they don't just see you one day for an hour they see you regularly on your good days on your bad days they can a comment on how things have progressed or not progressed so what should you do if you cannot perform your duties they're saying that you can go back to work you're going to have your doctor involved have your doctor explain why it is that you cannot go back to work ultimately when they send you for an independent medical examination and they have an opinion that you should go back to work now they spend some money now in getting that opinion so I think for fighting that fight, you may require a lawyer to represent you. And that's what we do. We represent clients, we pursue legal claims, and we get our clients the compensation that they deserve. You guys want to reach out
1: any further, there's always a way to do that. Uh, these emails are also a, a good start. Last one here says, the guys, I was asked by my long-term disability to apply for CPPD, but also they want me to sign a letter saying they can estimate my CPPD and maybe uh, will deduct from my long-term before I'm approved. Should I
2: sign? I've never seen a claim where the policy requires that a person sign a letter or a document saying that the insurance company can estimate their CPP disability benefit. That doesn't make sense to me. I have seen cases or policies where the insurance company will say, if you do not apply, this isn't the policy, right? If you do not apply, then we can estimate the amount. But if this person has already applied, no, you're going to sign some letter that the insurance company wants you to sign to agree <laughs> that they can estimate your b- benefit. Yeah. Um, I want to know more, more about this, though. I want to understand the circumstances as to what happened here. You know what often happens is if you do apply, the insurance company may have you sign a document saying that if your claim is approved, the back pay is paid uh, directly to the insurance company. That may be what is happening here. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we and- want to see what it is.
1: And with that, we are uh, just about out of time. But thank you so much for all your contributions to the show every week. I really mean it. All your emails are just uh, just fantastic. Keep them coming. We stockpile them and get through them on uh, subsequent shows. Help at disabilityrights.ca is how you go about doing that. Or the phone number. Finally, one more time: one eight five five eight two one. 5,900 to reach out to Martin and his team. And we'll catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.